Well, good morning. We're going to pray again. Is that okay? I like to talk to God. It's pretty fun. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to come into your house as the body of Christ to worship and honor you and to praise your name and to see your spirit move and to see your power be effective in the lives of every believer as they follow you. You are effective in our lives. You are motivational. You move us from one point to another. You are with us in the process. Father God, I just pray right now that our eyes and our ears and our hearts would be open to what you have for us this morning. Let my words be your words and my heart be your heart. Spirit speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are so, so fun. We, we didn't realize that when we started this stewardship series, it was going to end up being, uh, we're on part five now, I think. But it is, I think stewardship applies to our whole entire life, right? Every part of our lives as we walk with Jesus. And we can apply stewardship from um, habits on a daily basis to our finances, to how much time we spend with the Lord, to how we steward our families, to how we take care of the things that God's given us. Stewardship kind of just covers over everything. It's become my favorite word lately, steward. You'll hear me say it a lot, and it might annoy you, and I'm not sorry. (laughs) I'm just teasing. It was a joke. I'm not funny when I try to be funny. I know, I know, I try, and it doesn't work. Somebody told me that last week. I was like, thank you. (laughs) You're not funny when you try to be funny. Oh, it's okay. It's good. Praise God. So um, the scripture that we've been jumping off of every single week is 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 in the Passion Translation. Every believer has received grace gifts, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace, For example, if you have the gift of speaking, speak as though God were speaking his words through you. If you have the gift of serving, do it as passionately with the strength God gives you. If you have the gift of baking bread, bake that bread and give it in Jesus' name. Is that in there? (laughs) If you have the gift of fixing cars, fix those cars in Jesus' name. If you have the gift of mothering children, mother those babies right into the kingdom of heaven in Jesus' name. If you have the gift of Bless you because God didn't give it to me. But I do clean my house, but it's not my gift. But if it's your gift, do it in Jesus' name. Come on. If you have a gift, do it in Jesus' name. Whew, that's so fun. We can do it passionately with the strength God gives us so that in everything, God alone will be glorified through Jesus Christ. In everything, God alone will be glorified. In everything, everything. Oh, so good. (sighs) For to him belong the power and the glory forever throughout all ages. Amen. A steward is a person who manages another's property or financial affairs. One who administers anything as an agent of another or others. We are agents of the kingdom of heaven. We are stewards of the kingdom of heaven. When we say yes to Jesus, we step from one kingdom realm into another kingdom realm, and we become stewards of heaven on earth. Amen? Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we jump off into this, I want to talk to you today about stewarding our time. And the title of the message is A Different Way of Living. Jesus came to establish a different way of living. 
And so I thought it would be fun to go and Google, which is Googling is always fun, um, go and Google how Americans spend their time. And so I have a couple of slides for you. It says driving time, we usually spend about an hour a day. This is a 24-hour period. Social media, we usually spend about 3.4 hours is what I read, and it says three hours up there on social media every day. Eating and drinking, we usually spend about three hours. An average of seven hours of sleep, six hours of work, four hours of TV. Okay, granted, this is just a survey online. This may not look anything like how you spend your days. But I thought that was a cool breakdown. What I thought was really interesting is how long we spend on social media. And I didn't realize that that was true until I put a timer on my phone to tell me how, long I had ch- how many times I had checked my social media during the day. And that's a whole other message. We're not even going to talk about that today. So jump to the next slide. There are two graphs, and they're really small. I don't think you can see them very well. But the top one says, average time spent on religious activities per day. Sunday being the highest. Um, And then average time watching TV per day is the bottom graph. Boom, shakalaka laka. (laughs) Okay. Oh, it's fun when you see that. And I, again, this is not everybody and everybody's lifestyle. But I thought it is, as Americans as a whole, this is the average for America. Yes, sir. Okay. Oh. Oh, I didn't see that part. Okay. Top one is in minutes. <laughs> the bottom one is in hours. Help us, Lord. I think the average time is on Sunday watching TV is three and a half to four hours. And if we jump back to the graph before, it was an average, I think, of four hours a day. And maybe you're not sitting watching it the whole time, but it could be on in the background or whatever. So... <laughs> I was, I was praying about how to deliver this message on time because stewarding our time is, could be really um, interesting in how we talk about this. Like I could break it down for you and give you an organized structure of how you should spend your every day. Make sure you have this much time in the Word and this much time in prayer. Make sure you get eight hours of sleep. Make sure you eat three square meals a day. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. Do this. That sounds like law, doesn't it? That sounds like... Something choking me around my neck. Now, granted, organization is beautiful, right? It is important. God is organized. Did you hear me? God is organized. He is not a God of chaos or confusion, right? So he has called us to live in an organized, non-chaotic way. But, but how that looks for each one of us is different. And so I was asking the Lord, how do I speak about and teach about stewarding the time that we have? And the Lord wanted me to um, go into more of a different way of living, not how you spend your minutes, but how you live your life overall. How do we spend our daily lives? And we have been talking about the kingdom a lot. Jesus talked about the kingdom a lot. And we've been using the words upside down kingdom of heaven. And I love that word picture because when we live in this world, it's, it's not the kingdom of heaven. 
But the kingdom of heaven is completely opposite of this world, right? The kingdom of heaven says that success is serving, that it is better to give than receive, right? Those are just a couple of principles of the kingdom of heaven. It's upside down. I'm going to read you a quote from Tim Keller. He's a theologian of the day. Jesus brought a brand new kingdom. And in a kingdom, there are three things that make the kingdom a success. Like I said, God is organized. So Jesus brought in the kingdom of heaven. When he came, he said, enough of the kingdom of this world. I'm going to establish a new kingdom, a new way of living. And he said, there, there are three things, patterns, which are values, that a kingdom functions, three things, patterns, which are values, power to implement those patterns, and the effect of those patterns on people in their everyday life. The kingdom always has an impact. You are either a citizen of one kingdom or the other. He talks about Paul when Paul says, live as in the light. Even though you may be a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, you can still be fooled in the kingdom of this world. And he talked about the passage, live as though you're in the light, even though it looks like the darkness is all around you. The light has come. And we're like at the dawn of a new day. When heaven comes, the light will come fully. Amen? But he has come. We are at the dawn of the day. The kingdom has come. Jesus said, steward the kingdom. He says, when you live according to the world's values, it is temporary. The now is all that matters. Who knows about eternity? If you claim your life on the temporary, it will be lost. It will be lost. That is the reality that people live in every day. There's no beginning. There's no end. This is all there is. How many of you have ever heard anybody say that? If this is all there is, then I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live however I want because this is all there is. And why, why try anything else? And Jesus came and he said, there's more. There's more. And he, not only did he want to come and save us into eternity, but he came to establish the more now. He came to set things right now. He came to bring kingdom into the world now. When you say yes to following Jesus, you change citizenship. You are now a steward of heaven on earth. YOLO. How many of you heard YOLO? Anybody know what that means? Somebody yell it out. You only live once. That's kind of a phrase that the youngins say. YOLO, you only live once, so they're going to go for it. Jump off a bridge or whatever. I don't know. Not like, like the bungee jumping kind. <laughs> anyway. So I lost my place in my notes. YOLO takes on a whole new meaning. You only live once. Your values and your heart begin to love what he loves, see what he sees, and do what he did. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, because it is completely opposite of this world, which is self-serving, self-promoting, self-comforting, self-success. In Christ's kingdom, the focus is on saving all. 
giving instead of taking, sacrificing instead of gaining. Weakness is blessed. Those who mourn are comforted. The poor are seen and loved and provided for. The orphans are given a home. The widows and widowers are loved and looked after. The immigrant is brought into safety. The homeless are taken care of in the kingdom of heaven. The last shall be first. So you may be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with stewarding my time, my schedule, my life? When you say yes to following him, your schedule goes out the window. Your time goes out the window. I'm not saying don't go to work tomorrow, okay? That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) I am saying that our perspective of our lives and how we want our lives to be and what we have and how we get where we want to go A lot of people hit a midlife crisis because there's no meaning in success in a worldly way. There's no meaning. You may gain wealth. You may gain a name for yourself. But there's still this empty hole in you that needs to be filled. And that's the God side of things, the kingdom side of things that they're missing And Jesus said, I'm going to give you a brand new way to steward your life. Your time will become my time. You'll gain heaven. You'll gain eternal life. You'll gain abundant life here and now. You'll gain blessings in the hard times. You'll gain a heart that is free from the sin of this world. When you say yes to his kingdom, time management is completely flipped on its head. From us focused to him. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Verse 1, I love this passage in the message translate or uh, paraphrase, the message paraphrase. Thanks, babe. I love this passage. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on him, on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops a well-formed maturity in you. Paul keeps going and says, and it's not because of you, it's all because of grace. This isn't something that we've created, that we've earned, that we've made happen. This is the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross that died for our sins and made everything right. This is what we have. This is how we live our everyday, ordinary life in the power of God. This is what we possess in the kingdom. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your walking around life, and place it before him as an offering If you jump into this passage in the new, um, um, I'm getting all my versions mixed up, the NIV. Woo! In the NIV it says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. When we say yes to Jesus, how much of us does he get? Yeah. Just like we've been talking about financially, how much of our finances does he have? Does he own all of it? All that we have, all that we are, all that we possess, every one of our family members are created by him. We live and move and have our being in him, through him. 
And he says, place your body as a living sacrifice. And then if you keep going, I love this verse. I memorized this when I was in high school because I was struggling with my thoughts and with fear. And it says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be able to test and approve. When you keep in step with him, when you walk this out with him, when you say, yes, my, I am giving myself as a living sacrifice, you'll know his will. You'll know what to do tomorrow morning. You'll know how to respond in the workplace. You'll know how to handle a situation that has been dragging you down to the mud and is not true, but you need to rise up and say, this is the truth. I know who I am. I know who God has called me to be, and I will exude the fruit of the Spirit in this situation, and I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind because I know the kingdom lives in me. I know I am living out his kingdom every single day. That's good. Amen. That's good. Amen? Whew. Okay. Good. Next. Stewarding his kingdom will cost you everything. Stewarding his kingdom will cost you everything. Count the cost. Check out this video. This is David Platt, another amazing theologian of the day. So I've got this friend. I'll call him John. John's first exposure to the whole concept of hell was when he was watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon when he was younger. And what was intended to be this humorous cartoon all of a sudden turned into this hellacious nightmare when Tom did something bad to Jerry and was thrown into hell as a result. And later, John was at his church and he was talking with an older man about what he'd seen. And the older man looked at John and said, John, you don't want to go to hell, do you? John said, no. And so the man looked back at him and said, okay, pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, John kind of paused. There's some awkward silence. And then he realized he was supposed to say exactly what the man had said. So he said, dear Jesus. And the man continued, I know that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart and save me. And then when they were finished, the man looked at John and said, son, now you can know that you are saved from your sins and you don't ever have to worry about hell again. Is that true? Is this really what it means to become a disciple of Jesus? Is this really what it means to follow him? You look back at the first disciples in the Bible, and when Jesus came up to them and said, follow me, that was not an invitation to pray a prayer. That was a summons for these men to lose their lives. But somewhere along the way, 2,000 years later, amid varying cultural ties and popular church trends, we have virtually missed that call. With good intentions, with sincere desires to reach as many people as possible for Jesus, we've taken challenging words from Christ and turned them into trite phrases in the church. And in the process, we've drained the lifeblood out of Christianity and replaced it with a watered-down version of the gospel that is so palatable, it's not even real anymore. And the consequences are catastrophic. Scores of men, women, and children 
culturally identify themselves as Christians today who biblically are not followers of Christ. Is that possible? Absolutely it is. In fact, according to Jesus, it's probable. He said at the end of his most famous sermon, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are some of the most frightening words in all of the Bible. As a pastor, I stay awake some nights haunted by the thought that many people, many people who are sitting in church on Sunday will be shocked to stand before Jesus one day and hear him say to them, I never knew you away from me. We desperately need to take a look at our lives and our churches and ask the question, are we really biblically, personally following Jesus? Eternity is dependent on how we answer that question. I loved his example that it's not just praying a prayer, dear Jesus, come into my heart do you hear me? It's not just praying a prayer. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. It, he says, if you acknowledge me before man, I will not acknowledge you before my Father. But there's more. It's not just inviting him in to forgive you of your sins and to get you into heaven and to keep you from hell. There's more. He says, follow me. Follow me. And in following him, there's a cost count the cost. I was prepping for this message and I was looking at different commentaries on time management and scriptures on time management. And this one just jumped off the page. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 14. First things first, count the cost. Not some of my time, all that I have belongs to him. Jesus came to establish a different way of living. Don't get discouraged right now. Don't get distracted by what we just heard. Focus in with me. Because as you follow Jesus, as you have said yes to Jesus, you not only are a Christian, but you are a disciple. You have stepped from one citizenship to another citizenship. Amen? Amen. I'm not saying this for you to doubt your salvation this morning. I'm here to affirm your salvation and to say, you are a daughter and son of the king, and you stepped into a discipleship pattern that maybe you didn't know anything about, but that's why the church is here. That is why the brothers and sisters in Christ are here, so that we can walk with each other into being disciples of Jesus and keeping in step with the Spirit and learning and growing. And God shows us a new side of his face, a new side of his glory, a new vision of heaven and eternity. Amen? In, thank you, Emily. I love you. Luke chapter 14, we're going to jump to verse 25 in the Passion Translation. So we're going to jump into this passage of Scripture, but just to give you a little bit of a background, Jesus has a massive crowd following him around. And you think it's just because he's popular and because he's going around doing miracles and stuff. But it's not just that. They think that the Messiah has come to establish his kingdom now his kingdom reign, and that they were following him. Theologians, commentaries, people think they were following him for what's in it for them. Because if he were to establish his kingdom, they want a part of that kingdom. They want in on that good. 
That's what they said about Judas, that he was the money box keeper because he thought Jesus was coming to establish his full reign now. But it's the already not yet kingdom of heaven. And I know that's a little bit confusing, but walk with me here. So Jesus says, um, he speaks to this massive crowd. He wants them to know that following him is more than just following him around into success. Holy Spirit really convicted my heart this week. Success is not a worldly perspective. Success is not numbers. Success is not a better job. Success is not a name for yourself. Success is not popularity on social media. Success is not those things. Success is sacrifice. Success is going low to go high. That's success. So Jesus is talking to these people. He's like, you're following me, but I want you to really know what's happening here. Go with me to verse 25. As massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers. Yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is the price you'll pay to be consume, considered one of my followers. And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own. Or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. How much did it cost Jesus to save us? Everything. He's just saying, I gave you everything. And when you say yes to me, you give everything to me. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? Otherwise, he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish. The neighbors would ri will ridicule him, saying, look at him. He started to build but couldn't complete it. Have you ever heard of a commander who goes out to war without first sitting down with strategic planning to determine the strength of his army in to win the war against a stronger opponent, if he knows he doesn't stand a chance of winning the war, the wise commander will send out delegates to ask for the terms of peace. Likewise, unless you surrender all to me, giving up all you possess, you cannot be one of my disciples." When Jesus invites you into relationship, it is all. Not partly, not some, all. And he says, count the cost. Take a second and know what you're walking into. And it sounds pretty rough at the moment, doesn't it? Like, oh, I have to sacrifice everything. I have to surrender all that I have, all that I want in life, all of my kids, my family. I am telling you from personal experience that when you surrender all, he comes through enormously, gloriously every time. I'll just share this really quick. I told Travis I have a lot of bricks, but I don't have a lot of windows in this message of stories being windows. Like, I heard somebody say that one time. I'm like, that's really good. But I want to just share this story with you. I was praying while we were worshiping, and the Holy Spirit said, share that one. When Travis and I were pregnant with our son almost four years ago, in the springtime, 
so he would have just been in my belly for a few months, we went to our network conference. And um, the missionary that was speaking, his name's Dick Brognan. This guy's the real deal. <laughs> he makes you feel like uh, you don't do anything for Jesus, just how, what he does and the things that he does. And we can't compare ourselves to one another, right? So we're not doing that. But it was crazy powerful what he was talking about, and it was this message. Surrendering it all, giving it all to Jesus, letting go of your family, letting go of everything to follow after him. That doesn't mean you walk away and say, I hate you, I'll never see you again. That's not what Jesus said. Hate, that word hate in the scriptures means love less. You love the people in your life less than you love Jesus. And I remember as a little girl thinking, that's impossible. I love my mommy and daddy so much. How can I love Jesus more? But I'm telling you, the love that I have for Jesus and what he's done in my life is crazy. So we're pregnant with our son. Our girls are in child care. And he does an altar call. <clears throat> he calls everybody to the front and, it, and asks us to come if we feel this applies to us. But the altar call was to step down and say, I'm giving you everything. I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll say whatever you tell me to say. And it's that call that he's giving his followers right here. And we went down to the altar, and in, in our hearts initially it was, we're giving you all of ourselves, Travis and I. And as we were praying together, we were sitting on the floor. This is a moment I'll never forget. We were sitting on the floor, and we both felt like we needed to, to surrender our children to God. And say, our babies are yours. Our children are yours. Whatever you call them to do, wherever you call them to go, they belong to you. They don't belong to us. How many of you know as parents, you cannot control the end results of what your children do or receive or feel or have? Like you want to keep them from pain. You don't want them to experience anything bad. Like that's the parental heart. But you can't. You cannot control their lives just like God doesn't want to control your life. He wants a relationship. And when we sat down in that altar and we said, anything you ask us to do, God, whatever you call us to, we're yours. And we had done that before. But we never sat there, and I put my hands on my belly, and I prayed over our son, and I prayed over our girls, and I said, they're yours. They're yours. And I remember him laying his hands on my belly and saying the same thing. Jesus, whatever you call our son to, he's yours. Our girls, if you call them around the world to give their life as a martyr, they're yours. This is not to promote us in any way. This is to show the true nature of the kingdom and how God knows what is happening before we do. And he knows the cost. And he honors the gift. And our Ezekiel lived for nine months. And that little boy's life impacted more people than some people do an entire lifespan of living. And God did not take him from us. I am not saying that that was in any way God's plan. If it's death, loss, or destruction, it's not from him. But our son's life had a kingdom impact because we let go of him and said, God, you use him to impact eternity and however you choose. And do the same with us. Do the same with us. Because it's worth it.
His kingdom, his love, his joy, his peace, his life that he pours back into us, he's worth it. This is not narcissism. This is not psychotic. Whatever the enemy tries to talk you out of in this surrender, in this counting the cost, I'm telling you it will bring eternal reward. Our life is like this, but the rest of our eternity spans endless. We have this much time here. But what we are aiming towards, what we are planning towards, what we are storing up treasures in heaven towards is for eternity. It's for eternity. Count the cost. We don't even begin to know or understand the effects that, that our obedience have on eternity. You may not see a result now. You may not see the answered prayer now. But I am telling you, every prayer you pray, every time you fast, every time you give, it sows a seed into eternity. And it makes a difference. I am a different woman because of my yes to Jesus. I am. Amen. So I want to jump down. Let's go to verse 34. Whew. Salt is good for seasoning, but if salt were to lose its flavor, how could it ever be restored? It will never be useful again, not even fit for the soil of the, or the manure pile. If you have ears opened, to, opened by the Spirit, then hear the meaning of what I have said and apply it to yourselves. I thought it was interesting, like, why did Jesus tag on this paragraph to the end of Count the Cost? If salt loses its flavor, it's useless. And I was reading in um, the commentary and the studies, and I was reading about salt and light. Because we are the light of the world, we are the salt of the earth, right? We are to bring flavor, we are to shine bright. And what I didn't know was that salt was used on the wick of a candle to make it burn brighter. Salt in rabbinical literature, represents wisdom. When we use wisdom in our daily lives to follow after Jesus, we shine brighter. We impact more than we understand, more than maybe we can see right now. We taste good. Come on. Do you taste good this morning? <laughs> John. <laughs> we... When, we, when we're salty, when we have that flavor of the kingdom, Jesus will give you wisdom on how to follow him as you count the cost every single day. And you will be effective for his kingdom. Without that salt, without that wisdom of counting the cost, of saying yes to Jesus, and not just saying, I'm a Christian now. I go to church but I'm going to cultivate wisdom, God wisdom. He said, ask for wisdom and it's yours, right? God wisdom in my life to walk this out as a follower, as a disciple, not just a Christian, not just a religious person. Whew. That was good. Wisdom makes your light shine brighter. Wisdom is your guide to steward your time. Salt loses its flavor. If you lose your wisdom, you're flavorless, right? 
If you lose the ability to say, Jesus, I'm counting the cost. What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do tomorrow? If you don't walk out your days, your time, with the focus of delivering to others what Jesus has given to you, you will lose the kingdom's effect in your life. Did you hear what I said? And oh man, help me Lord. If you don't walk out your days, your time, with the focus of delivering to others what Jesus has given to you, you will lose the kingdom's effect in your life. You will lose your flavor. You will be just religious and not be a true follower. Jesus came to establish a new way of living. We are living for his purpose. So we look at our every day and say, how do you want me to live? How can I bring heaven into this situation? How can I focus on others and bring a kingdom impact to their world? You see, in the world, in the religious systems of the world, in, in the different religions around the world, there is no beginning and the end. There is no eternity. In this kingdom, this earthly kingdom, we believe, and Scripture teaches, that there is a beginning and that to this kingdom on earth, there is an end. And that means there is an urgency. That's Eric Johnson. He talked about the upside-down kingdom last week. So cool. But there is a beginning and there's an end to this world. There is an urgency to why we are here and why Jesus has come into our lives and said, I choose you. I choose you. And when you choose him back, when you count the cost, you take on Matthew 28, 19. Jump there with me. Now go into all the earth. Man, I have it memorized in a different translation, and I'm saying it wrong. Let me read it in the Passion Translation, but I'm saying it in the NIV. Can I have my phone? I want the NIV version. Or your phone. So when Jesus said, count the cost, right before he went to heaven, he said, I'm going to give you a commission. I'm going to give you instructions on how to steward your time. And this is how you are to steward your time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. When you count the cost, you say yes to this commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, walking with them like we've talked about. Stewarding your time in light of the kingdom means from the start you count the cost. Then you move forward with him living on mission. Jesus had a mission, and he said, I give you a mission to go make disciples to not only just receive what I've given you, but do something with it. This is how our time is designed to be spent as followers of Jesus. Wherever Jesus would go, hear this. (laughs) I love this. Wherever Jesus would go when he walked this planet, he would set things right. He would deliver the new kingdom 
He would show grace and love that could only come through him. Every step he took, he established the new kingdom. This is what we are called to do as believers and followers of Jesus, Jane. Everywhere we go, every step we take has a kingdom impact, right? That is so powerful. Do we realize the power that we hold? With every step we take in our everyday, ordinary lives, living as living sacrifices, counting the cost, saying yes to Jesus, and another one comes in the fold, 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 because we're taking our mission seriously. We are, we are following the Great Commission. Jesus made our mission very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. We keep ending up back here. So if you want to learn about stewardship, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's so, so good. If you want to know how Jesus says to live in detail, read the Sermon on the Mount. So good. My last point is steward your time by seeking first his kingdom his kingdom. Jesus came to establish a new way of living. And that new way of living is to live out the great commission and to seek first his kingdom in every decision we make, in our relationships, in our families. He comes first. It's really kind of simple, isn't it? Seek first his kingdom. Matthew 6, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom. Chase. Ch this is an active thing. This is not passive. We can't just passively move. Well, this is an active chase after the kingdom. And the righteousness that proceeds from him, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time using God wisdom. Tomorrow will take care of itself. We are truly to die to ourselves and live in Christ. That's another good one. Carry our cross, a living sacrifice, an offering. Jesus didn't shrink back from his goal of saving us, even though he knew what was coming. Paul talks about it over and over. Jesus talked about it. Persecution, suffering, grief, loss. These are not things that are not going to exist in our lives. But he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are. It's the upside down kingdom. So even though you endure the cross on a daily basis, because that, that as believers were to take up our cross, he comes in like a flood. His presence, his glory, his peace, his joy. There is nothing like it. How many of you know that? How many of you know that peace, know that joy? Know that it's worth it. Is it worth it to follow him? Is it worth it? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? Adam, Carrie, TJ, Muffy, Wendy, Ashley, Eric, Mayana, Danielle, Dominic, Emily. The joy set before him was all of your faces. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before us, which is relationship with Jesus, we can endure whatever this life may bring and conquer and walk in power and keep in step with the Holy Spirit because he said, I'm going to send something greater to you. And he sent us the Holy Spirit so we don't function alone. So don't, we don't walk in weakness. We have power. Come on. Woo. 
When you say yes to following Jesus, you gain heaven, you gain eternal life, you gain abundant life, you gain blessing in hard times, the persecution, the pain, you gain all the blessings that come through that. You gain a heart that is free from sin. Come on, somebody. Are you free? Hmm. The gospel is good news. Hallelujah. The gospel is good news. It is a gospel of grace, love, and power. Let me tell you, this is not all there is. This is not all there is. This life can be full of the power and presence of the Almighty God, led by the Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus. Jesus came to establish a new way of living. And I had to write down some things that that I, I didn't want to just... It's not about what we get, but I'm going to tell you that as you live as a living sacrifice before the king, as you count the cost, I'm going to tell you the things that come into your life. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? A peace that passes all understanding. Joy that nothing in this world can supply. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and through you to bring others to him. Eternal life. Bonus. Heavenly rewards. Jesus himself in you, wholeness, comfort in the trial, courage to change the world, to look more like the kingdom. That is why we are here. I want to pray courage into you today to change the world, the world that surrounds you, to look more like his kingdom, to be empowered by his Holy Spirit, by his sacrifice. It is worth it. Yeah. Would you stand with me? Preacher done preaching. Woo. Hallelujah. Do you have a song? Sweet. Can I just pray over you and then we're going to worship for a few minutes because I think that this is, is as much as it is amazing to hear, it is also sometimes hard. And, and I ask you to use wisdom this morning. And I've, I've been searching my heart all week long. Holy Spirit, where am I not exuding your kingdom? Where am I taking on in the world's values? Where are they sneaking into my heart and into my life? Get them out, please. Get them out. Help me to recognize when I'm moving in a selfish way. Help me to recognize when I'm not loving like I should. Help me to see you and see how you see, right? So that's, that's what I'm going to pray over you right now. And I want you to take time as we worship to just search your heart. To, this is an all individual thing. And everyone in the room, take time. If this is your first time learning about Jesus and hearing about the gospel in this way, I want to tell you he loves you and he is ready for your yes. And he has great plans for your life. So if you are ready to say yes to Jesus this morning, he's going to explode goodness all over you. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need to be made right. I know that I need wholeness in my life. I know that I need healing over my days and over my family and over my finances and all the things that you bring. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for turning from the left to the right and set me in motion with you. I want to follow you. It is that simple. And it is your yes to him. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I thank you for sending your son, for counting the cost, and for saying that we are all worth it to you, that we are all worth it to you, that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for keeping us before your eyes and knowing your reason and your purpose and the reason you came to set this new kingdom in motion. The victory is ours.
The victory is ours. I pray courage over every heart to walk in kingdom thought, in kingdom mind, that they would steward their daily lives in your way, in your will, in your time, that as they are transformed by the renewing of their minds and they present their bodies as living sacrifices, you would pour through those actions and you would save more and more and more. Thank you, Jesus.